Let's go ahead and turn our Bibles tonight to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter um, 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. Go ahead and open there uh, with me. And as you find it, go ahead and stand in honor of reading God's Word. And with God's help tonight, I'm going to preach a message titled this, Just Keep on Trusting in the Lord. Just keep on trusting in the Lord. You know, when it comes to going and telling others about Jesus and praying and giving and this idea of missions, if we're going to uh, get the gospel around the world, we're going to have to deepen our trust. We're going to have to deepen our faith in the Lord tonight. So if you look at 1 Kings chapter 17, we're going not just to look at really this guy Elijah. We're going to read a little bit of background about him to understand what's taking place. But we're really going to look at about trusting the Lord from somebody more simple from the widow of Zarephath tonight. So if you look with me in verse 1, it tells us this, And Elijah the Tishbite, who is of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn the eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, Now I've commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there, to sustain me. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God's help to show us the truth he has for us tonight. And we'll jump right in. Y'all may be seated. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, just for the privilege we have to be in your house tonight. Thankful that we can worship you in, uh, with freedom and uh, in a spirit of truth. And Lord, I believe you're already pleased tonight uh, with what we were singing and uh, the spirit here. But Lord, we want you to be pleased with this preaching time. And Lord, I pray that you would set a watch over my mouth. Lord, I pray that you would help me only say what you would have me to say tonight. And that you would be pleased with what is received as well. Lord, we want you to receive glory. Help us to just keep on trusting in you day by day. We love you. We saw these things in your name. Amen. It's difficult to see if someone is going to trust in the Lord. If they're never put in a position where it's difficult to trust the Lord in, uh, it's, it's often been said that a faith that cannot be tested, it cannot be trusted. And, uh, we have a, our daughter Macy, something she knows we've been dealing with our daughter Macy, uh, is we have a silver teapot on our table and we gave many of the children tonight an activity sheet about Ireland. And if they either color it, or they come to our table after the service. There's an Irish town called McKenna Gitterdahalia. If they can say that to us, we have a treat from our teapot for them. And someone who knows this more than anybody is Macy. And pastor, what's a really bad look when you're visiting churches, this is our 113th, 14th church we've been in in one year, is it's really bad when in front of the pastor, your daughter starts tearing things off your table and screaming and crying, throwing temper tantrums because you will not give her candy. Okay, it's a bad look, okay, on deputation. And uh, we thought, well, man, we're, we're going to have to figure out how to uh, how to do this right. And so I had a bright idea. I said, well, what we'll do is 
will hide the silver teapot behind the banner and she won't know any better. Well, Macy's as smart as her mama, okay? She has x-ray vision. She knew it was still there. And uh, she still do the same things. And really the problem was is we weren't teaching her to trust in what, what her parents knew was best for her life. And so now what we do before we leave our RV, we kind of, a lot of times you talk to her like a basketball coach and I'll, I'll try to super up. I say, Macy, say, no, no, Candy. And she'll say, no, no, Candy. And I'll say, say, children obey. And so we'll try to quote that verse with her. And we have other creative ways to teach her as well. And right now, about 90% of the time, it's going well with the candy pot on the table. Uh, but we wanted to make sure that Macy trusted with what her parents knew was best for her life. And Israel's definitely in a time of testing. I believe our world that we're in, Christians constantly, we're in a time of testing ourselves. And Israel's in a time of a drought as well. Uh, they're in a time of physical drought. When there's no rain, when there's no water, there's not going to be any food. But worse than that, uh, that physical drought, they're in a time of spiritual drought, a time a time where there's a famine of the Word of God, uh, a time where it was dangerous to be a believer, dangerous to be a believer in the one true God. Uh, believers back then, they had to simply trust in the Lord to meet their needs and mit- in the midst of the ungodly leadership of Ahab and Jezebel. The Bible tells us that there is no more wicked king or queen before Ahab or after Ahab and Jezebel. These were really bad people. Uh, this was a time where it was so dangerous they would censor believers. They wouldn't censor by removing a social media post every now and then. No, they would literally be slain with the swords to the point where there are only 7,000 out of this nation of millions that still bow down the knee to God. It was a time where human life was cheap, where babies would be offered on the arms of idols uh, to, as a sacrifice. It was a time of religious pluralism where there are many truths, many different idols. And Ahab and Jezebel, they had popularity with the people. They had popularity with the surrounding nations. They had chariots. They had horses and all these different things. But Ahab and Jezebel did not have the favor of God. We must remember tonight that our hope is found in the Lord. Our hope is found in God's favor in our lives. And Elijah rightfully stood up to Ahab and Jezebel during this time. Elijah's name means God is Jehovah. His life pointed to that, didn't it? Uh, he, he was sustained at this brook chariot after he boldly declared the truth. It should never be a strange thing when believers stand up for truth today. And he he boldly declared the truth and then he trusted the Lord at Cherith and then he trusts the Lord at Zarephath and During a time of a famine of food in the Word of God, a time when the world rejected God, God was going to test Elijah. He was going to test this widow woman to see how truly they trusted him. And I believe that this COVID-19 that it seems we still find ourselves in all around our world, I believe the political environment, the, the educational environment, whatever you call it, that we find ourselves in in our nation, around the world, it's really shown faithful Christians to be more faithful. But it's also shown faithless Christians, I believe, to be more faithless. And Elijah, he had a trust in God's direction and God's provision because it's often been said that where God guides, he will provide. When God calls you, he will enable you to do what he's calling you to do. When I first heard this story as a little boy, I didn't, I was a little bit skeptical about these ravens, okay? I thought, ravens that big to carry uh, big loaves of bread? I don't know about that. But then I grew up, my parents were missionaries in Sri Lanka, it's next to India. 
And I remember uh, these ravens, man, they're so big, they'd be carrying babies and, and houses and, and trucks. They weren't that big, okay? But these, ba- these ravens in Sri Lanka were massive. And so it definitely took trust for him to be fed by one of those pesky things. But he trusted in the Lord. But like I said tonight, we're going to look really more, not on this just great prophet Elijah we hear about in the Bible and the great things he did. We're going to look at this simple lady, this widow woman of Zarephath. And tonight, we're going to look at three components regarding trusting in the Lord. And I want you to notice first tonight that we need to trust in the Lord. They trusted in the Lord despite of the improbable surroundings they found they found themselves in. Some would say impossible surroundings that we find ourselves in today for God to work, for revival to happen, for the gospel to make a difference. Some would say it would be improbable for something to happen now or even impossible. These surroundings seem impossible in this story because of the ungodly leadership. We already mentioned that. Today, many people look at, uh, they watch uh, a lot of news or whatever, and they get just so discouraged, they lose all their hope, and they look at the ungodly leadership that's even in our land, around nations all, or, all around the world, including Ireland. And I want to remind you tonight, I want to try to encourage you tonight, challenge you tonight, that most of our Bible was written in the midst of ungodly leadership. Most major revivals in the Bible did not happen because there was a moral majority. No, it happened because there was a remnant. There was a group of Christians who decided that they were going to trust in the Lord. It was usually a small amount of people. But yet God was able to do great things. I want to remind you that most people in the Bible lived during a time when religious liberty was not even an option. You know, I'm all for laws of morality in our land and in Ireland. Ireland uh, was the first country in the world to legalize gay marriage and abortion by popular vote. I'm all for that stuff being overturned. I'm all for Roe versus Wade being overturned in the U.S., but can I tell you, you can change a law, you can change political things, you can change these things, but changing a law does not change anybody's heart. The only thing that can change someone's heart is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When someone becomes a new creature and old things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. In fact, righteousness is in the hands of the righteous. It's not in the hands of an ungodly leader. Second uh, Chronicles seven fourteen tells us it gives us a supposition if if my people which are called by my name if we humble ourselves if we seek his face if we pray and turn from our wicked ways and what will God do He will hear He will forgive us He will heal our land so I want to remind you that despite of the improbable surroundings in this story despite of what we might think we have this ungodly leadership in, in our generation. God still wants us to trust him. He still wants to do something amazing in our generation. So you see the, this ungodly leadership, but you also see that these surroundings would seem improbable, yea, impossible because of this unlikely location. Out of all the places that God could work, he decides to do something special in this little town of Zarephath. Zarephath is seven miles south of Zidon. It's in the heart of King Ahab's control. This was uh, the, 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 the hometown of Jezebel's daddy, okay? So there's any of place where it's very unlikely for one of the 7,000 believers to be found. It would be Zidon. Uh, it would be in Zarephath. Uh, I mean, that's where the spies are. That, that's where they really hate God. That's, that's where they're really censoring believers. And you wouldn't think there'd be anybody there found. 
that would trust in the Lord. But yet God wants to work in this unlikely location. It's a God-denying place. It's a place where believers are hated. And, you know, Bethlehem was an unlikely location as well. It was the least among the thousands of Judah, yet the Redeemer of Israel came out of Bethlehem. And I just want to challenge you. I want to remind you tonight that Isaiah 55, 8 tells us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. God is not limited by location. The only thing that limits God is the unbelief of man. And don't let your unbelief shackle God's power, God's omnipotence in your life. You might say, what does that mean? You know, that nice, fancy, alliterate, whatever, alliteration, what, what is unlikely? Well, you know, oftentimes today, we've been traveling, you know, the country from sea to shining sea. Not quite, actually. We haven't been to California yet. Uh, we're like, anyways, I want, it's boring, boring detail. I won't tell you all about that. But um, as we've been around the country, I've heard people say, talk about the Northeast or talk about certain areas, the Northwest or certain areas of our country and how God forsaken it seems and just say, oh man, those are unlikely locations for God to work there in that state and that region. Or I hear people talk that way about Europe or even Muslim countries or whatever, countries around the world. And I can hear that spirit of, I don't know what God can do there. I hear, you know, we could even talk that way about a workplace. You know, I'm like the only Christian there. I'm kind of like an undercover Christian, you know. I don't want to speak up too much. You know, if you decided that you're going to let God use you to be a gospel witness, God could change that workplace. Sometimes I hear people talk that way about their home. And, you know, I just I just don't know. Or their family. I might, man, my family is just so lost, and I, I just don't know. God, If we just trust the Lord, God could use you to reach your family. I, I, yay, I even hear people talk that way about the Bible Belt. I have a little bit of authority to speak about this because we worked in Murfreesboro, Tennessee for four years. And Murfreesboro is not too different of a town as, than Knoxville is. In Murfreesboro, there's probably 15 to 18 independent Baptist churches. Probably about three or four of those are church splits from one church. You know, it's just whatever. But that being said, I remember my attitude when I went, when I was in Bible college, I told my wife, I said, I do not want to go anywhere in the South. Uh, to go work. I said, I want to go to Vermont or New England. I want to be in California or Washington or Oregon. That's where I want to go. I don't want to go in the South. And I had this attitude of, yeah, it's all, it's all good down there. They don't, they don't need, they don't need another laborer down there. It's all good. Then I remember God clearly directed us and called us to go to Murfreesboro to work there. And as we were there, we had uh, that bus ministry. And I remember a kid named Victorious and Jacory. I can name all these other kids' names. They weren't saved. They didn't know any story about Jesus, maybe more that he was, this is a curse word they heard in their home. They didn't know any basic Bible stories, creation. They didn't know really anything about the Bible, even teenagers who we, we could get on the bus to come to church. And there were even other churches running bus routes in, our, in Murfreesboro as well. Yet, but these kids didn't know salvation. They weren't saved. I remember in the addictions program that we led at our church, we'd have grown adults come in. And I'd ask them, one of the first questions I would ask them, hey, if you want victory, you need to have a personal relationship with Christ. And we'd see if they were saved. And you would talk to them, and they would tell you, well, how, how do you know you're saved? And they'd say, you know what? I, my, uh, my, my, my grandfather was a Southern Baptist deacon. Okay, that doesn't save you. Well, when I, when I was little, I was baptized at the Church of Christ down the road. That doesn't save you. 
You know, I used to go to this Baptist church on this corner. That doesn't save you. And you hear all kinds of answers to, do you know you're saved, that were not biblical. And what I'm just trying to tell you is we can even limit many times, maybe our evangelism even in the South, it's how do you think England got the way it is today? Well, people just thought, well, we're good. We have the Bible. We have Christianity, all this stuff. I just declare to you tonight, God's not limited by location in Murfreesboro, Knoxville, anywhere around the world. God wants to see people saved. He wants to use us to declare the gospel where he has us, where he's called us to be. So I want to challenge you in that. God's not limited by location. But also this surroundings would seem improbable because of this unusable lady. And just one more thought about the location thing. You could tell I, I, I whatever, that's a big deal to me. Is I remember the first, one of the first missions conferences I ever went to with my, uh, with my parents. My parents are going to Sri Lanka. There's a missionary in Japan who came up first and he was Japanese. His last name was Kinoshita. And he said, God had a, he, God had to take me. He said, I, I was born in Japan, grew up in Japan. I came to America for a master's degree in whatever he was being degreed in. And he said, in the university, there's a Bible study group there and I got saved. And he said, God had to take me all the way from Japan to America to hear the gospel for the very first time. Well, then it was my dad's turn. And my dad said, you know, I grew up as a Roman Catholic altar boy. I joined the Marines and I went to Japan. And the very first time I heard the gospel was in Japan. So God had to take me from America to Japan to hear the gospel for the very first time. And so, folks, I just want to remind you tonight that we need to be busy trusting the Lord, trying to reach the world around us where he's called us to be. So you see that this, these improbable surroundings also would have been this lady would be unusable. Many people would say she was a widow woman. She was the lowest in society. And uh, back in the Bible culture times, we've heard the story of Ruth and Naomi. They were they were practically beggars, weren't they? And the best of times. These are the worst of times. This is a famine time. And God sends them to this unusable lady. Many people would deem unusable. And tonight you might look at your life. You might look even about people around you. And you're like, I don't know how God can use me. In this, in this world that we live in. I don't know how God can use my testimony. And you see that, uh, despite of this lady, God wants to use her. Moses, despite of his speech impediment, God wanted to use him. Uh, Rahab, despite of her sinful past, God wanted to use her. Peter and his, his denial of Christ and Thomas and his doubting of Christ and Paul and his destruction of the early church. God wanted to use all these people. And maybe you're letting something hold you back in your life where you think, you know, I just can't trust the Lord within it comes to this missions thing. I, I'm just so unusable. Well, God wants to use you as well. But I want you to see, secondly, tonight, we need to trust in the Lord despite of these improbable surroundings. But secondly, despite of the inadequate supplies. I want you to continue reading with me in 1 Kings 17 and verse 10. It tells us this in verse 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he had came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Now as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And as she said, and she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal and a barrel and a little oil and a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it. And die. It's pretty heavy stuff. She's about to die. Her son's about to die. They don't have any food. And 
these supplies would seem inadequate. It doesn't seem like there's a whole lot for God to work with. And we look today, the lack of laborers there are today. We look today and, uh, uh, and whatever the surroundings we find ourselves in, and it seems like there's some inadequate supplies. I want you to notice in these supplies that she was first willing to give a faithless offering. You might say, Josh, that's unkind. You're saying that this lady didn't have faith. She didn't have faith. What was she willing to give him? The offering she gave Elijah, she was willing to give, as he said, hey, can I have a cup of water? She, she, and she went to go fetch it. Can I have some bread? No, I can't do that. She was willing to do something that she could do in her own strength, but she wasn't willing to go beyond that. She was willing to give him a cup of water. And you know, it did not require faith. It required effort. It may have cried, uh, required sweat. It required her to have a break from her reality. Uh, maybe she even had to go to the well and go deeper than she had before because of the famine, or she had to go to her house and get fetch the water from, from a vessel. It took work, but it did not take faith. And we know what James says about faith and works. And so often in my life, and so often in our lives, I fear that we're willing to work for God, but we're not have, we're not willing to have faith in God. We're willing to give cups of water. And we say, God, this is my comfort zone, and I will do no more than that. And God might be leading someone to be a missionary even, to be a church planner. And we say, no, God, I don't feel comfortable with that. I'll just, I'll just keep, I'll give you my cup of water. God might be leading someone to, uh, to teach a Sunday school class. And we're like, no, I, I don't think I can do that. I work with kids. Nah, I don't know about that. That's not my comfort zone. And there's so many, I believe today, there's prisons that need preachers. There's nurseries that need nursery workers. There's uh, uh, neighborhoods that need uh, vans and buses to come and pick up kids for, so they can hear the gospel. Uh, there, there's churches that need Sunday school teachers. I think there's cities that don't have churches today because there's people today that say, God, I, I'll work for you. I'll give you a couple of water, but that's, that's all I'll do. And I think today there's a lot of churches that are, that could have a different building than they have, but they weren't willing to take a step above what God could do through them. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted for without faith. The Bible tells us in Hebrews it's impossible to please God. Why was she only willing to give this faithless offering? Well, it was because of her fearful objection. In verse 13, Elijah said unto her, fear not, right? It was obvious she was afraid of her future, afraid of her son's future, and her vision for her future was limited by her ability. Your vision, my vision for our future is going to be limited by what we're able to do. And she didn't have faith. Proverbs 14, 12 tells us that there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is a way of death. And you know, it seemed very right for her to say, this is my comfort zone, God, I'm not going beyond that. But if she stayed in that place, she and her son would have died. The Bible tells us where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that trusts in the law, happy is he. She didn't have a vision. She didn't have faith in what God could do. And she was going to perish. I believe today many Christians are full of fear for the future. They don't have faith to see what God can do through them and in their lives. Uh, they look about the improbable surroundings. That maybe they're watching Fox News too much or they're spending too much time on Facebook. And they just they, they just kind of given up on working for the Lord and having faith in what God can do in their lives. Proverbs eleven twenty four tells us this. There is he that scattereth and yet increaseth. There is he that withholdeth more than his meat 
but it tendeth to poverty. That's not just talking about finances, okay? You could That's the principle, but you could apply it in other ways. Anytime you withhold from trusting in the Lord, you're always going to miss out. So you see this fearful objection, this fear was holding her back. But I want you to see next this faith-filled offering. If you look with me in verse uh, 13, it says, Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go as thou hast said, but make me there of a little cake first. Bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste. Neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sent rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. So she gives her all. And by giving her all, she was exercising her faith. It was like the Old Testament version of the, of the widow's mind. And, uh, you see this, this faith. If there's anything I want you to get tonight out of anything I said, what I'm about to say next is the most important thing. Faith is not always trusting in the Lord without knowing what the outcome will be. Actually, rarely that's the case. Most of the time when God asks us to have faith or trust Him for something, He tells us what the result will be. He gives us a Bible promise of what's going to happen if we do that. Whatever it is in your life, maybe it's a matter of giving financially. Maybe it's a matter of the prayers you're praying or not praying. Maybe it's a matter of what you're doing for the Lord uh, personally as you're going uh, in the gospel work. Can I tell you, whatever it is, I promise you, there, whatever God wants you to take a step out to do, there's a Bible promise where he tells you what's going to happen if you do that. God's such a gentleman to this widow woman. This widow woman says, oh, I'm, I'm afraid and uh, I can't do that. And and God says, you know, what? he said, you, you just you just need to trust me. You just need to get together, lady. You just need to listen to what I have to say. But that's not what God does. The word of the Lord came to Elijah and he spoke to Elijah and Elijah told her, hey, listen, the barrel of meal is not going to waste. I'm going to infinitely sustain you. And in your life, what kind of promises does God have for us? Galatians 6, 9, you might say, you know what? I'm just so tired. I'm so weary. I've been working for the Lord for so long and I'm just not seeing any results. For the Bible tells us to grow not weary in well-doing. What's well, a promise? For in due season ye shall reap if ye faint not. You might be beating your head against the wall at your workplace or with your family or with uh, maybe you're involved in soul winning, whatever it is, and you're not seeing the results you want to see and it's emotional. And for the Bible tells us a promise that says that they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Even if we just trust in the Lord, God tells us what the result will be if we just trust in Him. 1 John 5.14, you might be thinking about your prayer life. You might say, you know what, I'm tired of praying for the same thing. And the Bible tells us this is the confidence we have in Him. If we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. James tells us that the effectual fervent prayer, right of a righteous man that availeth much. And God's given us Bible promises that we need to claim tonight. 2 Corinthians 9, we're not going to go there or quote that tonight, but it talks about the church of Macedonia, God's grace being bestowed on them. So they were able to give out of their liberality, even when they were persecuted and impoverished. God used them in a great way. What you need in order to trust in the Lord in your life is we need to believe in God's promise. We need to trust God at his word. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is if we have God's grace in our life. How do we get God's grace in our life? Ephesians 2.89 tells us, for by grace are you saved through faith. 
Faith in what? Faith in what God's Word says about Jesus Christ. So you need God's grace to have faith in who Jesus is for salvation. But you also need God's grace to have faith in what God's Word says about everything else. And God's grace is activated when we have faith in what His Word says. It took faith to feed Him first. It didn't make sense. The principle com- comes from Proverbs 3, 9. Honor, Lord, with thy substance with the first fruits of all thine increase. And then lastly tonight, and this will be very quick, we can trust in the Lord despite of the inadequate supplies, despite of the improbable surroundings, but lastly, because of His infinite sustenance. We already read the end of the story. God did infinitely sustain her. It's, it reminds me of Matthew 14, 15, when Jesus feeds the 5,000. And when we prove God, He will provide for us. Malachi three ten, God tells us to prove Him, and uh, He'll open the windows of heaven if we prove Him and we trust in Him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us to trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he uh, shall direct thy paths. And Psalm 37, David says, I've been young and I am old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. We just need to, when we are tested, we should trust in him. We should believe in his word. He has provided for our soul in heaven, and we can trust him with our life here on this earth as well. It's a wonderful thing to trust in the Lord and to serve Him because God is always faithful. When we started, uh, before we started deputation, I had a lot of well-meaning people, even some friends tell me, Josh, don't go on deputation. You may not even want to go to Ireland. Everything, I had some people tell me, man, Biden's going to put us all in concentration camps and all these sorts of things and just all these different things. I didn't know what to believe in. And I uh, mean, you, you, you just, you're going to be on deputation for five years and, and uh, you just need to stay here and, but we just decided to trust in the Lord and to go off the information that God had given us. And can I promise you, since October of last year, God has infinitely sustained my family every step of the way. And that's not because of us. That's because of His Word. That's because of uh, the power of just trusting what the Lord says He will do. I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking. I'm talking about the power of obedience. There needs to be a heart that trusts in the Lord. And you might say, you know, Josh... That's the thing. I'm kind of tired of trusting the Lord. I, I'm, I'm going in a rough spot in my life. It's been really, really tough. I've had some horrible things happen to my family. And this is tough for me. This is not the message I necessarily need to hear right now. I just need someone to, to give me a kind ear and, and kind of cry with me. You know, this story, what's interesting is just right after that God had place sustains this lady, do you know what happens in the next few verses after that? Her son dies. The son she trusts the Lord with, his life is gone. What does she have to do that next day when things weren't going good? She had to trust the Lord again. Elijah, man, his life was up and down, wasn't it? He goes to the throne room, and then he goes, knocked over to Cherith. He trusts the Lord there. Zarephath trusts the Lord there. Goes in the desert, runs into Ahab. Ahab doesn't kill him there. He trusts the Lord there. Mount Carmel, one guy against 850 prophets of Baal. He trusts the Lord there. Their waters run red. With the prophets of Baal blood that day, the people rain comes down, revival breaks out, but then Jezebel threatens to kill him. First Kings 19, he finds himself having a pity party underneath a juniper tree, wanting to die, wanting his life to end. But then what do you have to do? Get a trust in the Lord again. And God used him to start the school of the prophets. He used him to anoint Elisha and all kinds of things, and he just had to trust the Lord. I'm not trying to minimize that things are difficult for you, but what I am trying to say is, 
in the Bible, we just see this pattern of people just day by day, just trusting the Lord no matter what. With every head bowed and every eye closed tonight, I just want to ask you a couple of questions. And we're having a time of invitation. And what, you know, it seems traditional thing we do in church sometimes, but it's not just tradition. It's something that matters because we're inviting the Lord to speak to us, inviting the Lord to help us make decisions for Him. Maybe you're here tonight and you've been discouraged and you know, I've been holding back on the Lord. I've quit on some things. I've just not been trusting in Him. I've been afraid. I've been looking around at the surroundings and I just don't know. If that's you tonight, I just want to ask you if you would renew your commitment to the Lord to say, Lord, I, I just want to believe in your promise. There's some things I know you want me to do, some prayers you want me to pray, some things you want me to give, some places you want me to go with the gospel. And I want to trust in you for that. Maybe you're here, and, and I would be remiss to not say this. Maybe you're here and you say, you know, you're talking about Ireland and going there and the gospel, and I honestly don't understand all that. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I, I think I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. I've been coming to church. I'm trying my best. Friend, I just want to tell you tonight that you will not cut it. This lady, she worked. She got the cup of water, but that would not save her and her son. She had to have faith. And the only thing that will save you tonight is having faith in Jesus Christ alone and what he did for you on the cross. If you're here and you're not saved, you don't know if heaven's your home. Tonight would be an excellent time to make that decision, to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. I'm going to ask your pastor.